0: Welcome to The Author Reads. Hello and welcome to episode two of The Author Reads.
1: This week's guest author is Jill Clough and later on she'll be reading an extract from her novel Anna and the Snake Queen. But
0: first, have you ever wondered what it's like to sit down and write a book? There's more to it than just putting print to paper, as Lynn revealed with her short story, The New Indie Author. The New Indie Author by Lynn
1: Osbald Eston. The alarm sounded and an arm appeared from the warmth of the quilt. The hand waved frantically, the quickly cooling fingers made contact with the snooze button. Another 10 minutes wouldn't harm. Ugh. That was never ten minutes, she grumbled, as this time the beeping was silenced permanently. She heaved herself into a sitting position. A shiver ran down her spine. Cold air and excitement in equal measures were enveloped in the oversized dressing gown, hurriedly thrown on whilst one foot swished across the carpet, hoping to bump into a slipper before her feet became chilled. Yawning, she hurried to the bathroom. The day had begun like every day did familiar, routine. That feeling of waking growing as the heat from the shower sloughed away the remnants of the night. Today was set aside for her, just her and the laptop. No distractions, and she was determined that by lunchtime there would be one piece complete. Chapter One Perfect, spell checked, edited, read aloud for clarity and sense. The advice she had found on Google from an author of such high esteem, who had shared their take on how to write successfully, meant that this book writing would be as easy as falling off a log. If she followed highly esteemed author's advice to the letter, chapter one would be written in no time. Breakfast eaten whilst the laptop loaded and she created a new word doc as the last bit of toast was swallowed half-full mug of coffee moved safely away. She smiled. Not so much that she remembered the HSE ruling on computers from her training days. No liquids near the device. More for the good information of experienced, esteemed author, to stay positive. So today, the mug was half-full. Flexing her fingers, she stared at the blank white sheet. Come on, that first word is the hardest. But once that's down, there's no going back. She cajoled herself and placed her hand strategically over the QWERTY keyboard. A deep breath and off we go. After all, that opening paragraph has been thought about for weeks now and sounds perfectly acceptable in your head. It's high time it was typed. This book will be a bestseller. The boys stood. No, delete. You always knew when Tom was home. No. Delete. Where's that notebook gone? Oh, it's upstairs. The bedside cabinet was cluttered, and after moving the alarm clock, several books, pens, the glass of water, and a half-eaten biscuit, the notebook was snatched up, flicked through on its way downstairs, and placed reverently by the laptop with black screen. Re-enter password, blank word, dark, untitled, good to go. Stay hydrated was another topic covered by famous, esteemed, experienced author. Nodding, she reached for her half-full mug of instant coffee and swigged as she read her scrawled notebook words. Cold. Better get another brewing, then I'll be able to settle down. Standing, she stretched her back and glanced at the clock. An hour gone already? Surely not. Oh well, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And everyone knows how much marathon runners need fluid to sustain their efforts. Sitting again, she wriggled to find a more comfortable position. Nope, can't get comfy. Better get a cushion to sit on, she mused over the warm mug, clutched tightly in both hands. Draining the last of the mixture, she sighed. Cup prints quickly under running water, she headed for the settee, backtracked and chose the stairs. Might as well get the memory foam pillow once I've been to the loo. Comfort was very important, according to Google's guru of the writing world. Another pearl of wisdom, she thought, as she hurriedly pole danced upwards, clinging to the cylindrical stair rail for balance. Her marathon fluid intake had definitely become a sprint. Right, sit down and focus. Let's write. Chapter one. Oh, bloody hell. Wrong font. Don't want Calibri body. That's better. Times New Roman font size 12. Ping. Beep. Ignore the mobile, she hissed at the laptop screen. Brr, 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 a quick glance and caller ID showed Mum. Can't ignore this. Uh, hi Mum, uh, you must have read my mind, I was just about to call you. Me? Oh, I've decided to write that book, you know, the one I said I'd do years ago. Yeah, yeah, I've made a start. Oh, not a lot really. I'll read it to you when I've got more done and I'm happier with it. She laughed as her mother praised her and asked how long she'd been writing. "Uh, I've been at it for a good couple of hours now, Mum. Uh, Yeah, you know, I think you're right. Chapter one is more than enough for the day. I'll see you in half an hour. As she saved the word document, chapter one, she smiled. The best bit of advice she had got from esteemed, famous author rang loud and clear. Start with chapter one and the rest will follow when the time is right. And now over to Steve for the second instalment of his novella, The Eggs of Saramova.
0: The Eggs of Saramova. The story so far. Whilst on holiday on the island of Crete, Karen Smallwood has met and had lunch with mysterious Manos, as she is christened him. Having accepted his invitation to home cook pasta, she's come to the conclusion that he must be a translator to the medical profession. She couldn't have been further from the truth, as she is about to find out. The Aches of Saramova, episode two. Karen's blue eyes flickered open. The light stung and she brought up her arm to shield them. The magnolia ceiling became a blur and she drifted back into semi-consciousness. A solitary yacht, lights blazing, was moored in the bay. The profiteroles were sweet with hot chocolate sauce. She groaned. Her eyes flickered open again. The magnolia ceiling curved into a magnolia wall. She turned over onto her side and pulled her knees up into her stomach. Her delicate fingers probed the strange texture of the bed on which she lay, running along the edge and up onto the integral pillow. Slowly her thoughts came into focus. She remembered the meal, the coffee, the liqueur, but she couldn't remember leaving. Maybe she hadn't. ''Manos?'' she called out. She listened. There was a faint background hum but no other sound. Manos, she called again. Where are you? No answer. She sat up, surprised at how effortless movement seemed, as though in a dream. Ridiculous though it seemed to her, she did the only thing people ever seem to do in books. She pinched herself to see if she was awake. She exerted pressure on a piece of skin on her forearm until it hurt, wondered if you could dream pain. She decided that you couldn't. Returning her attention to her surroundings, she looked up at the wall, further up to the ceiling and back down to the floor. It didn't feel right. She couldn't put her finger on what was wrong, but somehow this room was way out of normal. She looked up to where the ceiling joined the wall again. There was no join. There wasn't even a shadow where the two met. She was missing something here, something important. Her eyes gradually made their way down to floor level. Again, no joy, no shadows, even in the corners. No shadows. Something clicked in her brain and she looked up at the ceiling again. There were no shadows because there were no lights. She realised that the room was being illuminated by some weird sort of radiance coming from the walls, floor and ceiling themselves. She felt a surge of panic rise within her. She tried once more to recall what had happened after the meal, but still couldn't remember a thing after the liqueur. What a fool she'd been. She should never have agreed to come here. She drew her legs up under her chin and folded her arms around her knees. The bed on which he was sitting looked cold and uninviting, a single plastic shelf jutting out from the wall, slightly raised to the head end, no sheets or linen of any kind. How could anything that looked so austere feel like a top-of-the-range slumberland? It seemed to mould itself to the very contours of her body, gently caressing her into sleep. Her head began to droop and her eyes softly closed. She shook herself awake. She felt that she mustn't go back to sleep. She felt that she'd already been asleep for a long time. A very long time. The force of the unspoken adjective sent a shiver up her spine. Just what in God's name was going on here? Manos! A note of sheer panic in her voice now. Still no answer except that ominous background hum. She looked around for any sign of normality. Her clothes. Where were her clothes? Her pale blue gown had been substituted for a colourless shift. Her hands explored the hem. There was no discernible texture. The material didn't quite meet at the strange fastenings down the left-hand side, revealing little strips of her sun-tanned skin. A hospital gown? Her mind reeled at the possibility of there having been an accident. That was it. She was in a Greek hospital. It had to be the answer. But something niggled deep inside. Why no doctors or nurses when she called? Where were all the beeping machines with their tubes and wires? Karen swung her legs off the side of the bed and noticed that for the first time A long, narrow strip of window set high in the wall behind her. Outside it was night. The very large part of her didn't want to go to that window. She steeled herself to go and take a look. She told herself to be calm. It would be all right. There would be the bay with the solitary yacht, lights still blazing, bobbing on the waters. Heart thumping like a steam hammer, she glided across the room to the window. The night sky was clear and the stars shone but something was wrong. There were too many of them. As if the once familiar constellations had been stirred up in a giant celestial bucket and strewn across the inky void. The stars shone. Her mouth dried. The stars didn't twinkle. They shone. Trembling now. As every nerve in her body jangled like keys in a cake tin, she forced herself to stand on tiptoe to see if she could see the grind. There is no fear as great as the fear of the unknown, but when the unknown becomes known and turns out to be worse than your wildest nightmares, the mind, in a desperate battle for survival, opts out of belief in its senses. There are no such things as flying saucers, were the last words that Karen Smallwood mumbled as she slumped slowly to the floor. In another part of the spacecraft, two Saramovan scientists studied a printout of Karen Smallwood's blood, urine and ovum samples. They agreed that they were perfect, better than they could have hoped for, With the weariness that comes from spending too long studying analytical charts on a small screen, the one named Juranga pressed a button, illuminating a projection of Karen's bed on the opposite wall. Panic flitted across his weary green eyes. Baruchek! The alien has gone! Baruchek looked up, startled. Impossible. Scan the room, the younger scientist's voice had an air of quiet assurance. Duranga, mind moved the image and quickly focused in on Karen's recumbent form. My mistake, he apologised. The alien appears to prefer sleeping on the floor. Berucek squinted at the projection. It may be asleep now, he said, but it's moved, which means it's awakened from stasis, which means it's now Moritz's responsibility. Let's inform the captain and let Morak take over from here. Then maybe we can get some sleep. That's the best idea I've heard in a long, long time, agreed Ziranga, tuning the screen into the bridge. He and Berucek watched the bulky frame of Captain Skermansk bound across the bridge in three lower-gravity strides. He turned at Ziranga's signal and looked back through the screen at them. You have the results? His eyes gleamed in anticipation, his golden mane a quiver. Yes, Captain, Duranga spoke slowly, stroking his own mane and savoring the moment. The tests have shown 100% compatibility, as expected, and no anomalies resulting from stasis. The trial can go ahead. The captain smashed one hirsute fist into his other palm in a gesticulation of triumph. Good work, Jiranga. This mission will be a turning point in Saramovan history. Central will record our names upon the stones. We'll be heroes. His voice rose to a crescendo, but the dour Jiranga interrupted him in mid-flow. The alien should be fed now, captain, if we are to maintain it in good condition. Perhaps, Morik... Buzz Morik and tell him to feed the alien. The captain bellowed over his shoulder to someone out of Giranga's line of vision. Heroes, Giranga, heroes! Yes, captain, replied Giranga, in a tone that almost managed to convey more enthusiasm than weariness. He shut the projection down and turned to face his colleague. And now, Baruchek, I'm going to go to my quarters, drink a good draught, and sleep the sleep of the dead, Beruchek, by way of reply, revealed a set of leonine fangs in a huge yawn, curled up on the bench on which he had been sitting and promptly fell asleep where he lay. Jurango didn't have the heart to wake him. He dimmed the lights and, as quietly as he could, stumbled out of the laboratory. So far this episode, we've kept things fairly light, but there is a darker side to life as well. So it's over to this week's award-winning guest author, Jill Clough, who introduced us to the darker side with an extract from her powerful novel, Anna and the Snake Queen.
2: Hello, my name is Jill Clough, and I'm going to read to you shortly from my second published novel, Anna and the Snake Queen. The first one, called Morph, won the Lakeland Book of the Year Award for Fiction in 2019. But this is a very different book from that, which was about gender and identity. This is a story about how children manage in a situation of domestic violence. I've been writing almost all my life, but since I stopped being a teacher and head teacher. I've written, really determined to get my books into print. I'm going to start this novel uh, just after the beginning. Anna and Mikey have been sent to a safe house with their mum because dad has been so violent to mum. The safe house is a bit shabby. It's got no furniture in it to begin with. And Anna and Mikey, wandering around, getting upstairs, find themselves on a landing, where all the doors are painted in different colours. One of the things about Mikey is that he's stopped talking to everybody except his mother and Anna, his older sister. It's his way of explaining, complaining about his father. So here I go. It's somewhere to stay. Anna shuffled her feet against the bare wooden floor. Little threads hung from nails by the skirting boards. There must have been a carpet here once. Someone must have decided to use up pots of paint on the doors. Last night, she and Mikey had slept behind a red door. Mum's room had a blue door and the bathroom door was white. White whitish anyway. The only door they hadn't opened was green. Mikey rattled the doorknob and Anna ground her teeth. Don't kick the door, Mikey. Mum said it's not very nice inside. That's why she slept in the little room. She braced herself to grab him again. Mikey rolled his eyes till the whites showed and her stomach tensed. Stop it, just stop. You gonna hit me? Course not, I never hit you. She glared at her brother. And he glared back, but a hot wave of guilt washed over her. He knew how much she wanted to hit him. She knew that he knew. But she never told when he bit her. You're a little saint, you are. Because there was the time when she had bitten the fleshy part of his thumb, showed him what it felt like being bitten. She had an idea and waved her hands like the conjurer did at the end of school year party. Open sesame! Mikey's face brightened. You doing magic? Sort of, said Anna, relieved that there was no grown-up nearby to hear. Secretly, she wished there would be magic, like in the stories she loved best. I'm going first, said Mikey. He shoved at the door. Nothing happened? And he gave it a kick. As she opened her mouth to tell him off, the door squealed open. Mikey jumped back. It's got a bad smell. It hasn't. Anna sniffed. The smell was stale and dry like an old stone wall. It's nasty magic. Don't be stupid. Anna stepped across the threshold. For a moment it was like walking into a high wind. Her ears popped and then she was inside. It's got the most disgusting wallpaper. Mikey pushed past her. Yuck, it's all flowers and stuff. And bells, said Anna. No wonder mum doesn't like it. Strange though, all the other rooms are just painted. The floorboards were covered in flakes of paint that had drifted from the ceiling and cobwebs looped in corners. Mikey scuffed his foot across the fallen plaster, crushing it to a powdery white dust. You'll get splinters. Don't care. Mum will be cross, said Anna. She wandered to the window, drew a sulky face in one of its dirty panes. Below her was the garden at the back of the house, a long, thin, overgrown strip with hedges pushing against a fence. It's sticky! Mikey was tracing the pattern of flowers with his finger. Anna flicked several dead flies off the windowsill and touched the wallpaper for herself. The flower and bell outlines were ridged and dusty. It's so thick, this wallpaper. How did anybody get it to stick on the walls? Anna, what's this? Mikey pointed at the other end of the room. Green streaks made a track across the wallpaper from the floor to the ceiling. He gave a little skip. It's like handprints, Anna. It's like we did in school in reception. It's part of the pattern, said Anna, glancing around. But she couldn't see green marks anywhere else she looked. I'm right, I'm right, he skipped in a circle. It's handprints. Don't be stupid. Anna walked towards the marks and stretched out her finger. The streaks wriggled, became brilliantly green, faded. The hairs stood up on the back of Anna's neck. Mikey jumped up and down i done magic. I found it first. Don't touch. But she was too late to stop him from slapping his hands against the green shapes. Again, they seemed to squirm, become luminous and fade. Let me see your hands. Show me. Anna felt suddenly anxious. What if there was something nasty in the paint? In their garage at home, in the old house, there were pots on a high shelf. Dad said nobody should open them without wearing gloves and he put them high in case Mum forgot. But Anna guessed it was Dad making up stuff so Mum would think she was useless. Mikey paid no attention. He stood on tiptoe, reaching for the higher prints. I can't reach the top! His voice trembled. I don't like this house! He slapped the wall. Don't be such a baby! irritation bubbled up inside Anna's chest again but even as she clenched her fists she reminded herself that if Mikey hadn't got between mum and dad he wouldn't have his horrible black eye and if Mikey hadn't got his black eye she could barely have the thought that they were safe because of his black eye it's good we're here Mikey leaned his forehead against the wall and a fat tear slid off the end of his chin. Show me your hands. There were no marks on them. She tutted, sighed. I'll do the prints with you. Mikey wiped his hand under his nose and crouched down by the lowest prints. You got to start at the top. I know, I know, I'm not a kid. She put out a forefinger to touch the topmost green print. There was no electric shock like you get from rubbing balloons. She inspected the end of her finger. No mark, no flashing lights, no magic creature jumping out of the wall. And yet her skin prickled with excitement. I bet whoever was living here got fed up painting doors. They messed about with green paint. She began to walk her hands down the wall, placing them inside each print. Her heart speeded up. Mikey began at the skirting board, walking his hands towards hers. Can I beat you? Their hands met in the middle. Cool, said Anna, surprised into a smile. Mikey smiled back and they were standing at the edge of a cliff. In front of them, a bridge of rope and wooden planks swung over an empty sea. You can find my books, Morph and Anna and the Snake Queen at www.swallowbooks.co.uk and on Amazon as paperbacks and
1: on Kindle. Happy reading! That's all for this week. Thank you for listening and join us for future episodes of The Author Reads.
0: And if you'd like to read more of Jill Clough's Anna and the Snake Queen or The Eggs of Saramova and other stories, then you'll find links on the title page of this podcast. See you next week on The Author Read.